Brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. With a name like Mutual, it has to be good. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Chatterbox Showcase, a collection of three short plays. The interview by Jim Thompson. Uh, hello? Hello? Have you ever looked out a window like that and wondered if there is a point? Uh, I'm sorry? I mean, don't you ever think we must be doing all this for a reason? For example, there's a time for living and there's a time for dying. But all we ever hear about is how there's not enough time. Time gets the best of us sometimes, I think. Yeah, I can see that I... I was driving uh, home the other day and this guy comes uh, out of nowhere and almost slams into the side of my car. I swerved and just avoided the collision. What an idiot! I mean, I'm just minding my own business and this guy that I am sure could care less about anyone else just plows into my lane. The streets were kind of wet and the car slid when I hit the brakes. Luckily, no one was next to me as I I slid under the shoulder. After the car came to a stop, I just sat there, catching my breath. That's pretty scary. It was scary. But you know what was even scarier? What? My reaction. I was mad. I was ready to get back into traffic and find that guy. I'm not sure what I would have done if I had found him, but I was pissed off, and I wanted him to know that he had almost killed me. I wanted him to know I, I could have hit a pole or another car. My heart was doing that hummingbird thing. I was pissed. Pissed. Uh, but but I just sat there and I tried to calm down. Then, then do you know what happened? No, what happened? I felt helpless. There was this, this sinking feeling that started to creep in on me, as though someone had just changed everything. Do you know what I mean? I guess so. It was like I was, I was so out of control of my life that someone or something insignificant could just come along and wham! Change everything, you see? Yeah, I I do. You know, we just sit here and do nothing most of the time. There's plans and there's ideas, but really, most of the time, they they don't amount to much. Just preparation. For what? Exactly. For what? I'm John, and you are... Tom. Right, right, Tom, Tom, come in, come in. Uh, What can we do for you, Tom? Um, I'm here about the job. Right, the job. Do you want it? Yes. Why? Well, it, it seems like a good fit with my previous experience. Uh-huh, so I see. And I have a degree in advertising from Mercer. Very nice. My, my last job didn't challenge me very much, and from what I've read, I, I feel that the environment here would be better suited okay, well, to I will really... tell you this. Um... Uh, Tom. Right, I will tell you this, Tom. This place is crazy. There's the everyday bullshit that you have in any job, but there are also some real idiots around here. Do not get hung up talking to Jack down in processing. He is the most paranoid person on earth. You'd think everyone was out to get that guy. And Mark in AR, well, he will try to save you, whatever that means. I think it has to do with religion, but I'm not entirely sure about that. (laughs) There's the clients. God knows we know how to pick them. Real pains in the ass. You know what they say, business would be easy if it weren't for employees or customers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> not, not really. You know, sometimes you toil and toil working your butt off, making some real progress, and then some idiot screws it all up. Well, I and then was... after they screw it all up, you still get the blame because this was your account. Then after years of building your book of accounts with your partner of 20 years, this partner 
who you started with, who was your best man in your first wedding, walks in one day and says that he is leaving the firm. What? How the hell does he think he's going to do that? We built this together, 50-50, and then he leaves and takes almost everyone with him. Do you know what that is like? Do you know how to deal with something like that? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, you had better get sure. I, I think I see what you mean. There is a big difference between thinking and knowing. Maybe I've made a mistake. You've made a mistake. I think maybe I have. You thought that this was going to be somewhere you would like to work? I did think that, yes. Well, what do you think now? I I think I'm not sure. You know what I think? What? I think you're not the first one to feel that way. The last guy that we hired was in and out of here fast. How fast? A week and a half. That's fast. That's what I said. Why did he leave? All the normal reasons, I suppose. He said something about the morale of the place not capable of fostering creativity. The morale? He said that the atmosphere here was not conducive to a healthy work experience or some shit like that. Really? You know what that really means? What? He was not in control. I I don't think I understand. It's like that feeling that I had in the car, sitting on the side of the road. He was helpless and lost control because he was letting someone or something else dictate the direction of his life. His feelings had gotten damaged, and he was upset about the fact that he had no control. I don't know if that happened here or if he brought it with him, but there was this thing that got to him, just like it got to me that day on the side of the road. Do you get it? Not yet. Here it is, Tom. I will give it to you the way someone gave it to me once. The world is cruel. It doesn't owe you anything and will chew you up and spit you out without so much as a thought. You don't matter. Ah, but here's the rub. You have to care about everyone else. At least it's expected. You're supposed to be a nice guy at the office, help the little old lady across the street, pick up little scraps dog poo, not cheat on your wife, and be an all-around stand-up guy. Why is that fair? I ask you, Tom, why is that fair? When the world does not care about you, why do you have to give a shit? Uh, What is more, when uh, you do not do those things, these things you were expected to do, you look like a real sack of shit. So here is what happened to David. Who's David? The guy who had the job before you. Oh, what happened to David? Well, David David was a victim of reliance. He was always looking for either someone to tell him what to do or someone to blame We are a real self-sufficient bunch around here, you know. There isn't a lot of talk about what we should do next. There isn't a lot of hand-holding. David needed his hand held, but more than that, he needed someone to always be there for him. It drove everyone crazy. You got to know him pretty well in a week and a half. Some people are easier than others. Sometimes it all comes in the blink of an eye. And sometimes you can sit across a desk from someone for years and never know them. David was very easy to figure out. Here's what we'll do. I will tell you what I am looking for, and you can tell me what you are looking for, and we will see if they fit. If not, we'll both know without even having to specify to each other. What do you say? Okay. Good. I will go first. I think about this all the time, and I will tell it to you, Tom, because I can tell that it might mean something to you. When I was a kid, my grandmother had this thing, what do you call it, a, a magnifying glass. We didn't know what to call it at the time, we just knew she used it to read. Anyway, it was cool to a kid. We would take it and, and hold it close to our eyes and look at each other and laugh and laugh. It was, it was really something good. Then we realized that we could use that piece of glass in another way. We realized 
more likely were shown by some older kid, probably, that, that we could take that piece of glass and harness the power of the sun. We were kids and had little toy figurines and, and toy cars and all of that, and we pretended that grandmother's glass was magic and it was a power like we had never seen in our lives. It became the most interesting thing we did at the time. We would find a toy and put it on the sidewalk and burn the hell out of it. We didn't understand the physics, but we understood, point this at something, hold it still, and it will melt. That was enough, and it made us freak out. So we would point it at the wheels on our model cars, or the legs on the toy soldiers, or anyone else, and focus that beam down and wait and laugh. What obviously happened is that we burned up all of our toys. I can give you lots of analogies about that, I guess. There's a, a heavy-handed metaphor in there. Anyway, that has been with me forever. That fun of doing something new and somewhat wrong, and then being caught and told not to do it. It made me upset at first that I had destroyed something that I had cared about, and then it just made me mad that I was told not to do something that I was doing. It didn't matter that I thought I was wrong. I didn't want to be told not to do something. I could care less about the why. And I think about that realization a lot of times around here. I think back and I remember how sorry I was at the time for destroying all of my toys. This thing that we thought was something good and, and fun and simple at first became something else. After it changed, we couldn't go back. The innocence was gone. But then I, I realized something important. I wasn't really sorry because I missed those toys. I was sorry because I felt like I was supposed to feel that way. It was a, a guilt that had begun to creep in on me and I couldn't do anything about it. Here, I have those same feelings. We started this place for many reasons. We were good at it. We didn't want to work for anyone else anymore. We wanted freedom, but mostly because it was fun. It was just the sheer excitement of the exercise that made this a good place to be. Then it started to grow, which was the goal, and get bigger and bigger. We got bigger jobs, we hired more people, and before long we were huge. And one day I, I sat in my office and I looked around, and instead of being proud of what we had built, I was a little sad because the innocence was gone. The fun was no longer around. Our focus had become so much about being more and getting bigger that I felt like we had lost sight of the reason it all started to begin with. That is when my partner walked in and said he wanted to split from the firm. He said he had bigger plans for the company than I and felt it would be better for both of us if we parted ways. I was stunned, of course. But after a while, I figured it might be for the best and that I might be able to get back some of the magic that this place used to have. And that didn't really work out. I don't think you can recapture something like that, that, that newness. You know, it's called new for a reason, right? So we got smaller, and I think more focused on what was more important. Life was more important. Not work, not bigger jobs, not for us. You know, we wanted to stay true to the original idea of this place. There was no way to, to go back and put the pieces back together and pretend all the changes hadn't happened. But we could learn from the experience. Tom, I know a little bit about living. I know about making the wrong decisions. I know a lot about avoiding a situation for so long that it gets completely out of hand and blows up in your face. I know about success and the rush when things work out just like you planned, or even better. I have seen a lot of things work and a lot of things blow up, and I can tell you that I like it better when they work. I think that if I could go back, I would concentrate more on living, more on the important things in life that you cannot get back. I wouldn't have spent so much time here. I want to be successful in as much as it makes me comfortable. I'm not looking for a job or a life that spends its hours fretting about things that at the end of the day are out of my control anyway. I want to kick some ass during the day and then turn it off 
and pull the world back into view from a perspective that is rational and measured. I'm not sure of all the reasons that make that important, but I've lost things that I cannot get back. It's no fun. And at least if I can keep filling this place up with talented, well-balanced folks, this part of my life will be taken care of. Then I can focus on the rest of it. <clears throat> okay, your turn. I, uh... I agree with everything you just said. Well then, Tom, I guess I would I, say congratulations. Uh, the job is yours if you would like it. I, I do. Great. Mark, can you come in here for a second? Mark, this is Tom. How do you do? Very well, thank you. Uh, nice to meet you. Tom is our new man in copywriting. I want you to show him to his desk and get him settled in and all of that. Sure thing, boss. Good to have you on board, Tom. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, I will see you around. Mark, here's all yours. So you're Mark, from AR? Uh, no. I think I'm the only one. The only one what? The only Mark. Oh. Well, what about Jack? In processing? <laughs> What's processing? I don't know. John, uh... Mr. Davis said something about it. Uh, he says a lot of things. I see. Do you? I'm beginning to. Good. That should help. The Prague Winter by Rebecca Bates. There were moments when I swore I must have been losing my mind. I knew better. Every part of me knew better. Ached with the knowledge that this was all wrong. Like the time it rained while we waited for my tram. I should have used the momentum of the crowd to pull myself away from you to get lost in the waves of passers-by, to become another nameless face. For even standing alone with you, I can feel my anonymity, my irrelevance. The downpour was freezing, though. What choice did I have but to press against you? But you only seemed more and more to steal my warmth, even as I felt your arms fold around me. Yours has always been a mocking embrace, cradling not me, but something else. My desperation... A demonic spirit invaded me, and I welcomed it. But where does this force come from? Or better yet, what is it even? I precede most of my friendships with a disclaimer. I am not a good person. With her, I feel I might have been a bit late with that information. But how could she not know? My God, with all the things she wheedled out of me, there was no way I could hide my true self from her. She was just so shy. We would be working together up there in that little office, and she wouldn't even look at me. I swear to God, I just wanted to bring her out of her shell. I had no idea that meant taking her to bed. Yes, I, I know she's sixteen years younger than me. I mean, yes, I could have stopped it, but I never took advantage of my situation with her. 
Ours was an absolute beginning. When I first met you, you looked weary and travel-worn as I was. Your eyes were pained as mine were. You looked lonely and lost as I was. In you, I thought I'd find a shared spirit of vulnerability. You looked as if you constantly desired to be embraced, and at that moment I needed reassuring embrace more than anything. And then I listened to you. I listened to you for hours, for months. I know about all of them, and I know why they all hate you. You sat there in that stupid cap and confessed all of your affairs to me. The way they began, the way they fell apart, how she could never know. As if I was in any state to absolve you. Me, with a boy back home whom I couldn't even say I loved. They all hate you. But I never could. I sympathized, empathized, identified with you. Maybe you knew that. Maybe those clear eyes of yours stared right into me and saw that I am just like you. Fucked up. Needy. Insecure. Aren't affairs supposed to be fun? Haven't we always thought of them as little adventures? You spend time with someone new, get to know a new body. Come on, this is Europe, right? This is expected. But it wasn't just play. I mean, you've seen me. You know I've always had to confide in everyone I meet, and it was no different with her. Except she listened long after others would have stopped. And before I knew it, I was telling her everything about the country singer from Montreal, the one who may or may not be pregnant, and how she won't return my calls. About the poet in Johannesburg, who manipulated me in some great ploy to get back at my friends who wronged her, and how the night it all ended, she scratched me across the face and doused me in whiskey. So why was this girl so different? And certainly I never loved her, but I was so protective of her in some weird way. I could see she wanted to tell me things. Could see she had things she wanted me to know, but I thought it might hurt her to pry. Of course, I saw how emotionally destructive this whole thing was. I witnessed her cave in on herself, and it's like I did nothing. But why didn't I? I could have turned her away all those times. Yes, of course, she's a pretty girl, no one's denying that. But she was so drunk that night when I held her outside while the trams went past. It would have been better just to send her on home, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't let go of her. Needy, why am I so obviously addicted to you? Is it because I can see your eyes are actually tired like mine? I could help you. I thought you wanted me to help you. Why else did you tell me to meet you that afternoon? Why else did you smile when you saw how the wine made me flushed? Why else did you call us a cab when we could barely stand? Being with you was all tenderness. At least I felt tender. I had craved a connection to someone, something, anything, for weeks. I guess that's why I repeatedly fled back to you. I hoped you'd actually be bothered to ask me about my suffering. I hoped, expected, yearned for you to return the same compassion and empathy I bestowed upon you without reserve. But all you can do is point at my bra still hanging where you threw it on the kitchen chair and say, You have left an article of clothing there. I must ask you not to forget it. And in those moments, all I can do is inwardly weep for what you will never give me. She should be of no consequence to me, so why can't I just let go of her? If I do, I'll free her of me. 
of the unintentional destruction that constantly follows in my wake. But then she'll be gone. And then who will unconditionally forgive me my trespasses? Almost every day, all day, I am alone. I walk to work through the park alone down the stairs where the statue of Stalin used to stand. Thinking about him, my mornings are already overshadowed by some distant grayness. But she was never gray. I would catch her looking at me through that coquettish curtain of bangs. I could see in those moments that she knew everything about me and still didn't mind. I guess all I have ever wanted is for someone to release me of my sin. And I realized the night we waited in the rain by the trams as she clutched desperately at me. She wanted the same thing. But why should it be you I look to for comfort? When I return from this dark, haunted city, there will be waiting for me a boy so unlike you in every way that he will make you seem like a sickness. That is, if he deigns to forgive me. And truly, it would involve demeaning himself. For who could continue to love someone so full of selfishness and disregard that they repeatedly harm those that adore them? Such is my punishment for choosing to care for you. Then suddenly, suddenly the, the intoxication, intoxication gave way to anguish. The road, the road had to end somewhere. Sooner or later she would have to put an end to her betrayals. Sooner or later she would have to stop herself. And it's true. I must put an end to this. She will leave soon. In a sick way I'm relieved. I am tired of being expected to reciprocate. In a way, once I have manipulated another's love, it disgusts me, repels me. I, who constantly drag sympathy out of those around me, cannot be bothered to return it in full. It is no different with her. I recognize the same desires in her for genuine affection, but I can't be the one to give it to her. Perhaps the reason we are unable to love is that we yearn to be loved. That is, we demand something, love, from our partner, instead of delivering ourselves up to them, demand free, and asking for nothing but their company. I always commanded attachment from her. Simple companionship was never enough. I sought her adoration to fill the void where my sense of self-worth should be. But perhaps, just once, I can cease to be a brick wall. For her, on this last meeting, I could be the ear she sought. Returning to the scene of the crime? I like it. We've come full circle. I'm glad you came to say goodbye. I'm not really supposed to be here. You know that. I'm not supposed to see you again. And I almost didn't come. Almost. But you did. Of course I did. This needs finality. A proper end. You are tense. How could I not be? This is the same as every meeting we've ever had. You will sip your coffee for a few minutes before launching into your latest confession, and, and I don't trust myself with your confidences anymore. I won't be taken in any longer. It is only conversation. It has always been only conversation. You knew what you were doing. Now won't you at least have a small beer? One. Jesus, it's not even noon yet. Why are you so nervous? He doesn't even have to know that you're here. Well, obviously he won't. Ever. He must be very keen on you to forgive you so often. You need to shave. <laughs> I've been waking up late all week. 
Maybe if you stopped getting your therapy from the bottom of a bottle every night, you'd be in better shape. What else am I supposed to do? Shut up for one minute and let someone else talk. But that's why I'm here. I want to listen to you. Don't you understand that? It's too late. You could have found a way to let me speak, just as I have listened to you dozens of times. But you can't be bothered. And now I'm speaking of my own accord. No more. My God, we were so shy just weeks ago. I wasn't going to probe you for personal information when you could barely speak to me. But I do care. I've always cared. I've always liked you and wished you well, haven't you known that? I don't doubt that you cared. But not enough. So let's drink up and be done with this. When are you leaving? Tomorrow morning. Nazdravi. Cheers. Nazdravi. Nashledno. The Sun by John Galsworthy, updated by Robert Arnold. God knows what he'll say, Jim. He can say whatever the hell he wants. He came back too late. That's all there is to it. It's not like he could have come back any earlier. I'm worried, Jim. He was fond of me. And what about me? Don't you think I'm fond of you? I should have waited, Jim. With him in the fighting and everything? Look, wasn't I in the fighting too? Haven't I busted my ass? Earned everything I've got? Oh, Jim. I, I know you two were close, Daisy. But tell me the truth. Did you... Did you... Not like you, Jim. Not like you. Okay. Okay. Buck up, then. But I did promise him. Well, one man's luck is another man's poison, that's what I say. I should have waited. But with so many of them dying over there, I, I never thought... I honestly never thought he'd come back. He may wish he hadn't. I wonder what it'll be like. Daisy? Daisy, don't you ever leave me. If you ever leave me, I'll... I'll kill you, Daisy, and him too. I swear to God I will. Hush. I could never leave you, Jim. Look. Look. Why don't we just make a break for it? He'd never find us. What's the point of sitting around here waiting? It's a big world out there, you know. I'd rather have it off my mind, Jim. Now that he's home and everything. We're tempting fate, Daisy. I know it. What time is it, Jim? 4.30. He said 4 o'clock. I wonder where he is. Jim... Jim, you'd better go. Go? Are you kidding? I'm not afraid of him. I've seen as much of this shit as he has any day. What's he like exactly? I don't know anymore. I haven't seen him for a long time. Not since I met you. Is he... is he a big guy? Little? About your size. Hmm. Oh, Jim, will you please go? Go? Shit. I'm not afraid of him. He can't be any meaner than the Mooj, and we didn't flinch when they were coming. I'll go if you go. Otherwise, I'm staying. Jim, do you love me? You know I do. Come here. I'm not ashamed. I'm not. I, if he could see my heart... Daisy, if I'd known you before I had shipped out, I never would have made it. They'd have gotten me for a deserter. 
Jim, when he comes, don't you hurt him. Promise me. That depends. Promise. If he stays nice and calm, he'll be fine. But if he doesn't, well, I can't promise anything, Daisy. After what I've been through, my instincts are quick to kick in. So are his, I bet. Yeah, I bet. It really yanks the pin out of you, you know? God help us. What's God got to do with it? That's another thing I learned over there. If you want something, you've got to take it. There's no one else who will give it to you, and there's no fear in the world that can stop you. Not after you've seen the way things really are. I'm sure he'll say that, too. Then it'll be him or me. Jim, I'm scared. Don't worry, Daisy. We're out in the middle of nowhere. The river's close by. I'll kill him before I let him hurt you. We're safe. So long as I've got this. Oh, no. No, no. Give me that knife, Jim. Don't worry, Daisy. I won't have any use for it like it's not. It's all right, Daisy. You can't be expected to see things like we do. (laughs) What's life, anyway? I've seen a thousand lives taken in five minutes. I've seen dead men in the sand like flies on flypaper. I've been as good as dead myself a hundred times. I've killed a dozen men. It's nothing. He's safe, so long as he doesn't get my blood up. If he does, nobody's safe. Not him, or anybody else. Not even you. I made it, Daisy. You wouldn't, Jim. You wouldn't fight him here, out in the sun, with the birds chirping. Depends on him. I'm not planning to, but it depends on him. Daisy, I love you. I love your hair. I love your eyes. I love you. And I love you, Jim. I don't want anything in the world but you. Amen to that. Come here and kiss me. There he is. Jim, will you hide? Please, just just let me talk to him first. Please hide. All right, all right, Daisy. I'll be right here. You'll be brave now. Christ, there she is. It's Daisy. It's little Daisy herself. Don't you worry about a thing, Daisy. I'm right here. Daisy. Daisy. Well, hello there, gorgeous. Hello, Jack. I've... I've got things to tell you. What sort of things on this beautiful day? My God, I've got things that it'd take me years to tell. Did you miss me, Daisy? You've been gone a long time. So I have. That's how it works these days, I guess. I said when I got out of it, I'd laugh. Sure as the sun itself. I used to think of you, Daisy. When we were making our way through the cities and the wind was up. Do you remember that last night in the woods? Come back, you said. Come back quick and marry me, Jack. Well, here I am. No more fighting, no more desert air, no more explosions in the middle of the night. We can get married now, Daisy. We can live quiet and happy. Well, come here and kiss me, baby. No. No? Why not? That's why, soldier. Who the hell are you? Who is this, Daisy? My... my man. Your... your man? Jesus. Well, hey there, Battle. You look like you've been downrange, too. I'm laughing this morning, as luck would have it. <laughs> it's quite a knife you've got there. I wouldn't advise laughing at me, soldier. Not at you. Not at you. I'm laughing at things in general. <laughs> Looks like someone earned his marksmanship badge off of you, Battle. Where'd you take it? Through the lung. Through the lung! How about that? And there I was, never touched. Not a scratch on me. So you came home and pulled a Jody, huh? Decided my girl would be better off with you. Well, how do you like that? Well, 
Well, the world's out there waiting, I guess. I'll give you Daisy for a lung protector. To keep the other ones safe. You won't give me anything, soldier. I've already taken her. All right, then. Keep her. I've got a laugh in me that even you can't put out, mean as you look. Bye, Daisy. Jack! Don't you touch him! <laughs> Come on now, Battle. Let's shake hands. I don't want to see my girl crying. Not today. Not with the sun shining. I've been seeing way too much sorrow lately. You and me have seen more than our share. But here we are. We made it through. Come on now, shake. You never loved her! Really? I thought I did. I'll fight you for her. You and me! I'll throw the knife in the river! Look, Battle, you've done your thing and I've done mine. And it's taken us down two different roads, I guess. Jim! I don't want his charity. I only want what I can take. Daisy, which of us would you rather have? I, I can't. Come on now, Daisy. Jim. Jim. See there, Battle? Put your fist down. There's nothing for it but a laugh. You and me both know that. Come on, laugh, why don't you? You son it's of a... It's no use, Battle. I can't do it. I said I'd laugh today, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I've come through it. All the stink of it. I've gone all the way through sorrow. Never again. Take care, both of you. The sun is shining. Jack, please don't think badly of me. Not for a moment, gorgeous. You get your wish. So long. He... He's crazy. The sun has touched him, Jim. The sun has touched him. You've been listening to the second episode of Chatterbox Audio Theater's Chatterbox Showcase. The interview featured Matt Reed as John. Michael Toll as Tom, and Mike Hanrahan as Mark, written by Jim Thompson. The Prague Winter featured Matt Reed as the man and Lyric Peters as the young woman, written by Rebecca Bates. The Sun featured Michael Toll as the man, Lyric Peters as the girl, and Kendall Karcher as the soldier. Original script by John Galsworthy, updated by Robert Arnold. This episode of Chatterbox Showcase featured music by Michael Toll. It was produced by Mike Hanrahan and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Mutual of Audio's Sonic Kingdom, presented to you by the Mutual Audio Network, the network where we can all listen and imagine together. Hi, I'm Perky Marlins, and welcome back to Mutual of Audio's Sonic Kingdom. Last week, we traveled to the wilds of Audio Island, which is in the western edge of that place some call the Bermuda Triangle. 
we went there to check on the progress of an audio drama producer who we have re-educated into the aspects of surviving in the wilds of the audio podverse. This wild creature, who Jim has named Bobo, has been used by society as a data entry clerk, a bartender, a project manager, an exotic dancer, and a biomedical research subject. The Mutual Audio Network's re-education project gives our young friend an opportunity for a productive life, in Bobo's natural environment, as an audio drama or comedy producer. The rehabilitation of this magnificent, wild, and creative animal includes a chance to reach a wider range of distribution and the extra exposure that brings, along with free production resources and the potential to make some money. Bobo has been hard at work on a first masterpiece, and right now, we can see Jim giving Bobo some feedback on the final mix. That's pretty good, Bobo. I'm just not sure about the choice of background music. It seems to be a bit too... No! No, I'm sorry, Bobo! No, don't, don't, don't hurt me, Bobo! <laughs> Artists. Sometimes they can get a bit touchy. Well, Jim knew the job was dangerous when he took it. Join us next week as Mutual of Audio's Sonic Kingdom will visit a pack of voice actors living in the hidden valleys of darkest Nova Scotia. For more information about the Mutual Audio Network, go to mutualaudionetwork.com or inquire at mutualaudio at gmail.com. The Mutual Audio Network, listening and imagining together.